welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Mike, our, our chair uh, gave you a special uh, special thing for the call, which is talk as long as you walk. Normally, we limit our, our speakers to 20 minutes, but talk as long as you want. And it's my privilege to introduce Mike C. of Chicago, uh, who is very well known around the world. And uh, actually, today, he is sober for 33 years, one month, and one week. So take it away, Mike. Okay. Well, I'm glad to be here. My name's Mike. I'm a recovering sexaholic, and I'm glad I'm here sober today through God's grace and you people. And uh, what I do here is just <clears throat> fairly traditional. I'll try to tell my story, what it was like, what happened, and uh, what it's like now. Um, so uh, I'm the second oldest of seven kids. I grew up on the southwest side of Chicago in an Irish Catholic neighborhood that uh, had one... Uh, one addiction that in hindsight was obvious, although at the time I didn't know it was an addiction, and that was alcoholism. Uh, almost everybody I knew drank, and almost everybody I knew drank too much. But I didn't know it was too much because it was so normal that it seems normal, <laughs> if that makes any sense. Uh, so... Uh, uh, but you know your 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 parish priest might be as likely to be an alcoholic as as your next door neighbor, and certainly certainly my father, my uncle, many of my uncles and aunts, uh, you know, is just uh, was just, uh, and the people who maybe weren't alcoholics, they 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 still drank too much. The only person I knew who didn't drink was my father's mother, and I found out years later that she hated alcohol, and the reason she hated it was her husband got drunk one day and went over to the Laramie Street Bridge and jumped off. So um, there was a ton of alcoholism swirling around, and uh, over time it became apparent. What was also happening in this neighborhood was sexaholism, but that was much more hidden, because in, in at least in, in the Irish Catholic neighborhoods in Chicago, the one thing nobody ever talked about was sex. Uh, your pastor came in in eighth grade and told you the facts of life, and he sweated bullets while he did it and was a nervous wreck. And then uh, your father called you in around sixth, seventh grade and tried to do the same thing. And, and it was kind of a, a contest between your dad and your pastor as to, you know, who, who was more of a wreck having to talk about sex. And that, and that was it. Um, so, you know, when I hit my teenage years, I discovered uh, masturbation and pornography. I'm not sure in which order, but very close one, you know, after the other. And uh, from the beginning, it was very, very powerful. Uh, I would say toxic, um, and uh, you know it was just. I, I don't know. How, you know, I think back. How often was I masturbating? I don't know. Several times a week. Um, I mean, for from the time I started masturbating till the time I got sober, I don't think I took more than two to three showers in my life that I didn't masturbate. It just was something I did as part of every shower that I took. Um, 
the pornography we stashed in a couple different places around the house. And it was remarkable when I talk about the silence around things sexual growing up. I had pornography and my two brothers had pornography. And we all knew where the hiding places were, where we hid it without ever having said a word to one another about it. It's not like I would say, hey, where's that magazine to my brother? I would just know his secret spot somehow, and he would know mine. And um, so, you know, from the beginning for me, uh, masturbation and lust and pornography was kind of this two-sided coin. It was, on the one hand, uh, this... uh, very powerful thing that I couldn't wait to do. And it was, on the other hand, something that made me feel really, really bad about myself, in part because we were taught the few things. The one thing that was said to us about sex was don't do it. (laughs) And so it was something that I, I felt terrible about and almost from the beginning would make efforts to stop. And they would be successful in the sense that I might stop for a while but they would be unsuccessful in the sense that I couldn't stay stopped. So when I hear people in meetings say they couldn't stop, I kind of laugh to myself because I think, hell, I was the greatest stopper that ever was. My problem was that I always started again. Uh, And I had good intentions. I was studying to be a priest. I was in the seminary. Uh, Obviously, they weren't encouraging this kind of behavior. And... uh, I I would stop for a while, but sooner or later I had to start again. And that whole process, uh, the trying not to, the being triggered, getting the sweats, the whole process of sort of, you know, the the half, you know, the, the losing control, that the whole process. And then at the end, you know, whatever whatever pleasure there was at the end, shortly thereafter, followed by enormous amounts of self-loathing. Um, and my story's not really that interesting. It's mostly sex with self, a few affairs thrown in. Um, you know, uh, I was I was teaching after I got out of college. I was teaching religion in an all girls Catholic high school, and I had an affair with the English teacher who was married to somebody other than myself. And um, at the end of that, I again, I tried to stop, and for two months, I, the last two months of school, I stayed away from her. And then the last day of school, she offered to drive me home from the school picnic, which, you know, I knew was a disaster waiting to happen. So, of course, I said yes. And, uh, you know, she, she we stopped at a restaurant on the way to the Forest Preserve, which we had never done before. And uh, she asked me a question, do you still love me? And, you know, by my definition of love today, maybe I never did. But at the time, I thought I had. But by that time, I didn't. I wanted out of that school. I wasn't going back there the next year. My whole goal the last two months there was to stay away from her. Yet there we were sitting in a restaurant, and I had my out. All I had to do was tell her the truth. And I looked her right in the eye and said yes. And I felt something die inside me. Um, because I, I felt that I had done something evil. Um because I had a person had asked me for a, a serious question and had the right to an honest answer. And I lied through my teeth so I could get laid basically. And, um, uh, so, you know, what, you know, what was it like? It was, it was brief euphoria followed by massive amounts of self-loathing to the point where I could no longer look at myself in the mirror. What happened? 
Uh, what happened was, well, first I stopped drinking. I got sober from alcoholism and uh, thought that that would help with my sexual problems. And it, it did at the beginning, but then one more time I couldn't stay stopped and realized here I was sober from alcohol, still acting out. And my, my older brother actually uh, started telling me about his acting out but also that he had found a group and, and in Chicago, the first group that came was SAA came in a couple of years before SA came in. And uh, so he started telling me about this SAA group that he had joined and uh, that he was getting some victory. Uh, and I was, uh, I was just faking. I was, I was full of crap. Really. I just kept acting like the supportive brother instead of saying, yeah, I'm doing the same thing you are. And I don't know what changed it. Uh, part of it may have been I had asked uh, this gal, Kathy, to marry me. And uh, she had said yes, remarkably, given that she'd gone through my alcoholism and she had also known about this affair that I'd had. And there was really not much reason for her to say yes, uh, but she did. And I kind of knew before this marriage started that it was going to fail if something didn't change in my in my in my acting out and in my lust. So what what happened literally was one day my brother and I were sitting in a car and he was telling me about his recovery and what he had been doing in, in his acting out and what he was trying to do in his recovery. And I looked at him and I said two words. I said, me too. And I burst into tears. Now, my memory is that he immediately whisked me off to a meeting. But for all I know, the meeting was a week later. But But shortly thereafter... He took me to uh, my first meeting, which, as I said, was an SAA meeting. And uh, I'm I trying to remember if I stayed sober from my very first meeting or if it was my second meeting. But somewhere very early on, I was, in, 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 I was selling English composition books at the time. And uh, I was out on a sales call in the suburbs. And I went somewhere for lunch. And I looked out the window and saw an adult bookstore across the street. And felt everything starting, the heartbeat racing, the, the sweats, the I got to go over there. And uh, I checked my pockets. I had quarters, which was just awesome. And and this is long before cell phones because, as I said to GW earlier, I'm 60 years old. Uh, but there was a pay phone in the restaurant. And I literally had quarters in my hands saying, well, I'm going to use a quarter. The question is, is it going into the... Is it going into the payphone or over at the bookstore? And for whatever reason, I remembered my sponsor telling me, call me before you act out, not after, which I think is the greatest advice there is in all of uh, 12 Step. You know, if, if somebody calls me after they've acted out, there's not a damn thing I can do for them, even if I'm Jesus Christ. But if they call me before, I can tell them, don't do it, which they already know. But for some miraculous reason, if I tell them, don't do it, they won't do it. And that's what happened that day. I, I dialed. Uh, my sponsor's number, I told him, there's a bookstore across the street. I'm sweating like mad. I feel like I have to go in. And, and, and he said, well, I, I got some profound advice for you. Listen carefully. And I said, okay. And he said, don't do it. And uh, I said, what should I do instead? And he said, you're going to get in your car. You're going to drive straight home. You're not going to stop for any reason. You're going to get home. And when you get home, you're going to pick up the phone. You're going to call me and you're going to tell me you drove straight home and you did not act on your lust. And I said, okay, I'll give it a try. And I got home and, uh, and I was sober. And I did not know at that moment that I would never act out again. I, I can't say that, but I can say this.
I knew at that moment that I didn't, I never had to act out again. And sometimes you hear a lot of excuses from people who relapse a lot about, you know, why they have to act out. And, 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 and I don't ever believe those excuses because I realized that day that if I reached out to a power greater than myself through a member of the program, I, I could stay sober. And that if I did that every day, I would never act out again. And, and that's actually what happened. Um, what it's like now, uh, it's pretty good. It's, it's a long way from perfect, but it's pretty good. Um, so let me first talk about, um, um, what, what got it this good is working the 12 steps, um, with a sponsor. Um, and, and, and the 12 steps in my mind is my opinion, but it happens to be correct. But, <laughs> but, uh, you know, the 12 steps don't get us sober. We get sober. You know, as Roy said in the white book, we stopped and, and then the power of God becomes effective in us or something like that. I, I think I have it close. Um, the steps help us stay sober once we've decided that we're done acting out. And that's what they did for me. Um, that I, I learned all sorts of things. One of the things I always talk about is learning how to look at the sidewalk when I walked, that I didn't have to look at everybody and get triggered, that I could look down. And most of the time today, I don't need to look down, but I know how for those days when I do. And, and, and I learned that part of turning my will and life over to the care of God was doing what my sponsor told me, not doing what I wanted to do. And he told me, I want you for the next year or two to walk down the street looking at the sidewalk. He said, of course, you have to look up at the at the corner so you can get across the street, but I don't want you basically eyeing everybody. I want you eyeing the sidewalk. Um, so I did. It's just a goofy example, but it, it's one of many of how I learned to work the steps and stay sober. Um, so, um, you know, what it's like now, uh, I married that girl, Kathy. I've been married to her for almost as long as I've been sober. We'll be married 33 years, uh, September 1st, God willing. And uh, we have troubles. We just went through a real, real difficult period where our communication was off. Uh, we seem to be getting back on track. But what has happened in those 33 years is uh, I've been completely faithful to her. She's been completely faithful to me. We've raised two wonderful kids, and uh, we like each other. And uh, I don't lust after other women. Uh, and if I start to, I call you guys and turn it over, and, and my life is better. Um, I've had a successful career in financial planning. I've uh, been uh, the head of my archdiocese pastoral council uh, in my religion, I've, and I'm not saying any of this stuff to brag. I'm, I'm, I'm saying this to tell you that if we stay sober, we can develop what it says in the book, a life that's making it. And as imperfect as my life is, it's definitely a life that's making it. Um, and, uh, the other part of that is I've been able to be of use and a service in the program, uh, in part, in large part by doing what I'm doing now for, for whatever reason. And I'm not quite sure how it developed, but, you know, I, I became a person who was asked to speak and, you know, usually, I don't know, it depends on the year, but four or five times a year, either via phone or, or, or traveling out to folks, I get to carry the message uh, and I absolutely love it. Um, it's been a great gift. Uh, the other thing that's happened as part of that is my home group, which is the Wednesday night St. Teresa group in Chicago. Uh, over time, we realized that 
um, meetings themselves and groups themselves could either be weak or strong. And that while it's certainly true that each individual is responsible for his or her own recovery, that a strong meeting can help aid that process. And so over the years, we worked on developing what's called a culture of sobriety in our group so that if someone comes to our meeting from out of town or a newcomer, at the end of the meeting, they usually walk out and say something to to somebody such as, boy, we know you folks mean business, or God, if I really want to stay sober, I could do it here. And uh, I don't have time to go into all the details of the things we've done to improve our meeting, but we, we've taken uh, inventory of ourselves as a group several times over the years to, to, to try to make sure that the tone and the focus is on recovery. And we have probably, we average about 50 people a week. And I want to say, just guessing, that 15 to 18 of them have been sober more than a decade. Um, and so that's something that I'm really grateful for. And it's probably the main reason I'm asked to speak nowadays, usually, is, is to talk about um, um, those things that we've done. So anyway... Um, yeah, so what it was like, what happened, what it's like now is that, you know, uh, I'm pretty happy. Uh, I'm happy within SA. Um, I'm happy to try to be of use and a service in SA. And I'm happy to try and be of use and a service in my uh, religion of my childhood and in my family and amongst my friends. Um, and to keep growing. You know, the other piece of it for me is that it doesn't... Uh, it doesn't end. I want to keep getting better. I like getting better, and I've been given that gift. Um, and so, you know, my hope and prayer for all of us would be a sober day today and a commitment to um, doing the things we all need to do uh, to keep staying sober because only I can only help people if I stay sober. I can't help people if I'm drunk. And uh, so I think, I don't know, I'm somewhere in the 20-minute range, and I think that's probably enough. I, I look forward to hearing what you folks have to say, and thanks for uh, asking me to share. I appreciate it. Like this. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve. Mm -hmm.